Hi listeners, it is our last book episode of 2022, and that is not the only exciting thing about it. I have been looking forward to telling you about this one for literally months now. First things first, I have one word for you, wishbone. Whether you were more of a book kid or a TV kid, you probably know a little something about this precocious Jack Russell Terrier who had a knack for sharing classic literature with his young audience. Wishbone premiered on PBS Kids in October of 1995 and aired until 1997. In those two years, a total of 50 episodes were produced, adapting everything from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and The Hunchback of Notre Dame to Pride and Prejudice and The Prince and the Pauper. Wishbone also inspired several book series. The Wishbone books offered kids a friendlier entry point to their source material, along with funny interjections from their canine narrator. Today, my guests and I take a bit of a hybrid approach to the Wishbone universe. Each of us chose a different classic and revisited the corresponding TV episode. We also share our experiences with reading the original versions of the stories, and I walk my guests through my own experience rereading the Wishbone Romeo and Juliet novelization as an adult. I share what I learned about all things Wishbone on and off the page, and we all compare notes about the role that this spunky little pup played in our early pop culture consumption. We also touch on the ways in which Wishbone may have inspired a generation of readers and writers, how it did or did not play into familiar stereotypes, and why it was such a successful series. It's a delicious trip down memory lane and the perfect way to wind down the year. My guests today are Megan Angelo and Kylie Reed. Megan joined me as a guest on an episode back in 2020, and I am so thrilled to have her back today. Megan has written about television, film, women in pop culture, and motherhood for publications including the New York Times, Glamour, Elle, The Wall Street Journal, Marie Claire, and Slate. Her novel, Followers, was one of my favorite reads of 2022, and if you haven't picked it up yet, you need to. You probably know Kylie Reed best as the author of 2019's Such a Fun Age, which was a New York Times bestseller and long-listed for the 2020 Booker Prize. It was also the first ever selection for Reese's Book Club. Kylie is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, where she was the recipient of the Truman Capote Fellowship. I know Kylie for all of these reasons, but I was also lucky enough to work closely with her as part of my own MFA program at Temple University. The opportunity to have Kylie as my manuscript advisor was easily the greatest gift of my grad school experience. As you can probably imagine, having the chance to talk with Kylie here on the podcast is really special for me. Imagine my surprise listeners when I discover that these incredible writers are close friends. I am so thrilled that they agreed to join me together on SSR, and I hope you have as much fun tuning into this conversation as I did having it. We did have a few little audio hiccups while we were recording, so the quality is a little different than what you're used to, but I am confident that it won't interfere with your listening experience. You can follow Megan on Twitter and Instagram at MeganAngelo and Kylie on Twitter and Instagram at KylieReed. You know what's coming next, which is a reminder to check in with SSR on social media as well. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. There is a lot of good stuff for you to explore at the link in my Instagram bio especially. You can support the podcast on Patreon, check out my bookshop.org storefront, and so much more. I want to say a big thank you to all of the Patreon supporters listening to this episode. The show has grown so much this year and I couldn't have done it without you. I am also thankful to my friends at Libra FM for continuing to partner with the podcast. If you are still looking for last minute gifts for the readers on your list, a Libra FM credit bundle could definitely fit the bill. Credit bundles come in packs of two, three, six, nine, 12, or 24 audiobook credits and give your loved ones a chance to choose the titles they would most like to read. Plus, they'll know that indie booksellers got a little love in the shopping process. Learn more at the link in my Instagram bio at SSRPod. One last piece of housekeeping before we jump into the episode. As I mentioned at the top of this intro, episode 224 is our last book episode of the year, but I will be back with the fourth annual listener sode on December 27th. After that, SSR will be on a brief holiday break. Be sure to tune in on January 10th for the first episode of 2023, during which my guests and I chat about The Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. 
You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Kylie. Hi, Megan. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm so excited that you're both here. So this episode is like two years in the making. There's a lot of history baked into this conversation. And if it's okay with both of you, I'd like to kind of recite my version of what has brought the three of us here today for the final episode of 2022. Is that okay with, with both of you? Yes, we'll correct the record. Absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is your opportunity to correct me. So let's rewind. It's fall of 2019. I get the chance to read an advanced copy of Such a Fun Age. I love it. Changed my world, read it in a day on vacation. I had just started the podcast. And I, as a little baby podcaster who had no confidence, I just like casually submitted to Kylie's submission form online, like, would love to have you on my podcast. Okay, bye. At the same time, I reached out to Megan Angelo, who is on the podcast, and got the chance to chat with her in, I believe, April of 2020, because it was, I think, my last recording in my apartment in New York. And we talked about a Babysitter's Club book that was set in New York City. And I was like, I'm having so many feelings because we're packing up our apartment, moved to Philly. And at that point, you and I realized that we actually had a lot in common in terms of geography because we both grew up in the same place. You live actually near where my family lives now. And so that was fun. And we started connecting on social media. Great. Excellent episode. Everybody go listen to it if you haven't yet. Fast forward a year, I am doing my MFA at Temple University in Philadelphia, and I find out that one Kylie Reed is coming to be a visiting professor. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And I am lucky enough to be in Kylie's workshop, which was very cool, very intimidating at first, but I had the chance to work very closely with Kylie one-on-one on my manuscript. She became something of a mentor for me. And I, at one point, I don't remember how long I waited to tell you that I was like, um, haha, a couple of years ago, like I sent you this really awkward message. So, like, don't check your inbox because oh, uh, I'm, you did. <laughs> that was a very nice email. It was a very nice email. And I'm not going to interrupt too much, but I just never went through my Squarespace things. That's like usually where people write to like abuse you yeah. and tell you like that you're like terrible. But your message was very, very nice. But yes, continue. You're doing a great job. It's so far as everybody on board, this is correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This okay. is perfect. Okay. So I was like, I'm sorry if that was embarrassing. Anyway, like, let's go back to working on my writing. And I was trying really hard to be your friend, Kylie. As you know, you had a no friends with students policy at the time. And I'm so glad we're past that because here we are chatting casually. And then I found out, I don't even know how this happened, but Kylie, you told me that you and Megan were really good friends. And I was like, wait, hold on. Megan Angelo was on my podcast. <laughs> This is like love, actually. We were all meant to be. And then I finally got my hands on a copy of Followers. I was like, I'm as obsessed with Followers as I am with such a fun age. And then I I reconnected with you, Kylie, after graduation. And I think you actually sent me an email and you were like, I agree. And I had been very careful. I was like, I'm not going to ask Kylie to be on the podcast again. We have a professional relationship. And you emailed me and you were like, by the way, I will do your podcast if I can do it with Megan. And I was like, yes, done. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so much love there. Yeah, that's usually how I do most things. Is Megan coming? Okay, yeah, I, I will be there. <laughs> it's a good way to be. Well, I'm glad to have you both here. We have we have a returning guest in Megan and a new guest in Kylie, and it's such a treat. And then I think it was Megan who suggested Wishbone, and you were like, I don't want to be weird. Like, hold on, hear me out, Wishbone. And I was like, I don't need to hear you out. I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to think if we talked about it, Kylie. Did we talk about it? Was Wishbone my brainstorm? I don't want to. We did a little brainstorm. We We had a good brainstorm, too, because we had Gatsby on there and then we had a few others. 
And I can't remember, but I just wanted to watch TV. <laughs> about about wishbone can i throw in like one tiny thing that's happening because i didn't realize you guys met in 2017 this really has been building 2020 right 2020 right at the beginning of covid but yes it's still a very long time okay Mm -hmm. so in 2019 that is when i met megan megan we'll talk about this in a minute i met megan at a book conference and we were on a panel and we were each doing 10 minute speeches and of course, I'm not going to say names, but there was a person on the panel who proceeded to talk for 45 minutes. And it was like this really uncomfortable situation where the audience was getting like raucous a little bit and just like, get them off the stage. What is going on? And then someone literally had to be like, hey, you need to like stop talking now. And it was just the worst moment. And then I text or I, I DM'd Megan actor and I was like hey you don't know me but like we sat next to each other did you are you still stroking out from that instance because I <laughs> that's how Megan and there I was this is okay this is not a podcast about friendship but you know when like something like that is happening and you can feel a frequency and I think there was like one person sitting between me and Kai Kylie on the on the dais as they say mm-hmm. the but like I could feel that she was feeling it and I also want to say the person who got the author off stage was so gentle about it. It was one of the yeah. gentlest things I ever saw. She was like, "Okay, that was so. <laughs> thank you so much." And your and the audience was raucous. They were doing the like thing where you start to laugh in science class, and you're like, "If I let it out, it will never stop." That's yeah. where the audience was. So yeah, yeah, That's good origin story, guys. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Well, so happy we are here and with Wishbone. And now that we have all of that straightened out, I want to hear about your histories with Wishbone and why and how Wishbone came out of that brainstorming session that you just mentioned. I mean, you come home from school, you're yeah. tired, mm. you get a little snack, you go, to, maybe you do a little homework, a mm. little bit, you turn on the TV, and there's Wishbone. And it's kind of educational, but there's a really cute dog. And their story. Like when I was watching it, I was like, "What did I love about this?" Probably <laughs> the dog tricks. I'm not yeah. sure, but it just was such a staple. You come home after school and watch it. That's how it was for me. What about you, Megan? Yeah, I think. Okay, so let's. I feel. I don't want to put you guys in the spot, but I feel like we should establish our ages because okay. I'm trying to think of. So Kylie and I are wait four years apart, right? I'm four years older than thirty five. Okay, I'm thirty eight, and Allie, how old are you? I'm 32. Okay, because I'm looking, it was 1995 and 1997. Okay, so yeah, so I would have been like 11, 12, as I'm thinking this through, maybe a little (laughs) old. (laughs) You're never too old for a dog in costume. (laughs) I also didn't have cable. My parents were anti-cable, and I just lived in the woods. And so whatever was on PBS was it. Like, I'm sure everybody here liked Ghostwriter. I loved Ghostwriter. And then Wishbone. Well, you know what I'll say? Looking back at it, don't you guys feel like it had pretty high production value for, like, a PBS? Like, there was a full-on war in the one I was watching last night. So, yeah, I don't know. To, to me, it felt pretty epic in terms of after-school programming. Okay, so I'm going to hit you with something that might shock you. Wishbone won five Emmys. You know what? I'm not shocked. I've never been less shocked. But in terms of the production value, like they won for costume design, for set design. Wishbone won a Peabody. Like Wishbone was more (laughs) than just our after school pal. He really made much more of a splash than I remembered. I love that. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, Wishbone maybe. Yes. I think Wishbone could have brought more peace to the world had he been given the opportunity to be on television for more than two seasons. This really shocked me. So clearly I've done a deep dive into Wishbone. Apparently PBS gave up on Wishbone after its second season because they felt that it did not have great merchandising potential, which interesting. I'm confused by because it's a dog. I would have worn Wanda's look head to toe. Right. Literally, because she had the hat. I think there were a lot of missed opportunities. Is what I definitely there. had a wishbone um, like stuffed animal too. So I feel like they just wow. scratched the surface. I was, I loved wishbone. So my history with wishbone, I remember watching him in the basement of my grandparents' house. I'm sorry. They called it the den, not the basement. 
<laughs> and they, of course, had this enormous TV that I think they had since my dad was like 12 years old and a brown and orange and white shag carpet with wood paneling. And I would go to their house and my grandmother would make me um, sliced bananas with milk and sugar in a bowl. And I would have breakfast and watch PBS. And then sometimes she would also make me liverwurst sandwiches, which in hindsight is really gross, but I loved them. And then I would just watch my PBS shows and I loved Wishbone. Huge dog kid, huge book kid. And so Wishbone was kind of my dream. And the episode that I remember the most was the Romeo and Juliet episode. And I yep. did read the books too. I guess we should touch on that. So did you also read the bu- the Wishbone books or were you? No, I didn't read Wishbone Wait, Wishbone edition books? See, this Wait, say more about this. I am introducing you to a whole new world. Okay, so obviously the show came first, 1995 to 1997. But then, naturally, they realized they had an opportunity with the books. And so there were, I think, five different Wishbone series associated with the books. So I have the Wishbone Classics, Romeo and Juliet. And I'm showing you the the photo (laughs) of him. Here he is in his Romeo garb. He's holding a rose in his mouth. And it, it really is just a retelling of Romeo and Juliet in dumbed down language. Of course, it's not like written in Shakespearean English or anything like that. But then there are also these, and I can, I'll try to show you on the screen listeners. I will, of course, post screenshots and stuff. But there's these like little wishbone kind of jumps in at points and explains things to kids. So for this one with Romeo and Juliet at the beginning, he he's like, oh, you know, you might notice that these people talk funny and here's why. And he has um, a moment where he talks about how in Shakespeare's world, um, men would have played the women on stage. And like, this is why. And he jumps in when Capulet tries to set Romeo up with Paris and kind of explains to kids like, oh, at this time in history, a father was responsible for choosing the husband of his daughter. So like he kind of explains things to kids and also makes funny jokes like, haha, like the Montagues and the Capulets fight like cats and dogs. So he's sort of the guide in these books. So I love that I'm introducing this to you. Yeah. I'm mad. I would have been like ripping that off the circular thing to check out at the library. Yeah. So nice. Maybe it must have hit me at the exact right time. Yeah. A couple of years behind. um, I was like, yes, I will read all of these books. But I mostly remember the Romeo and Juliet episode. So that's kind of what I leaned into. But I know we all kind of talked about different episodes, different stories to re-examine. Kylie has notes. I see you're pulling out a stack of papers. <laughs> she has a sheaf of papers, a full sheaf. Okay. Because I was doing my own manuscript and I was writing my wishbone Wait, notes. <laughs> do you have wishbone notes on the back of your own manuscript? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I that's do. an option item. Well, see, that's an option from the Kylie phase. These are the titles. I'm not sure if my novel is going to be named, and this is all wishbone around it. Someday, so, when your novel's published, can you send that to me, and can I frame yes. it and hang it in my office? Absolutely. Okay. Well, well, I don't think I don't think these are going to be the titles, but it'll be you know even more special that way. But yeah, I can't fun. wait. Okay, so would you like to share your wishbone notes first? You don't have to tell us about the possible titles of your novel because that's secret, of course. But tell me about wishbone. Okay. Okay. Do you want to know about my wishbone experience and then my experience of revisiting the Odyssey? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'm going to go in. If I talk too much, just like shut me up. So I picked an episode called Homer Sweet Homer, and I watched it on the elliptical. It was great. I was also really impressed by the production value and the acting and everything. It was very well put together. Wishbone himself, I was like, okay, all this dog really has to do is hit his mark, hold things in his mouth, and like jump sometimes. But he, he did great. He did a good job. So the episode of Homer to Homer obviously covers Homer's Odysseus. And, of course, there's Wishbone as Odysseus, which really made me think about how funny it would be to be an actor and, like, being in love with Odysseus or having Telemachus being like, Dad, I miss you. (laughs) Just very, very strange. (laughs) But something was really interesting going on with the episode in that, you know how there's, like, a wishbone epic story part but then there's like a current day thing with his owner joe and everything the current day story was one of gentrification and this like tycoon guy wanted to turn the park into like a shopping mall and wishbone and his crew says no you're bad we're not going to do that 
And the whole time I kind of thought like, why did they blend these? Because the story doesn't really go with the Odyssey that much. And I didn't really understand that. That being said, it is probably my least favorite thing in films and in literature where someone's in class and the thing that's studying is the circumstance that the characters are in. I think there's a place for it. That place has never been kissed. That's Mm. fine. As is uh, (laughs) 10 Things I Hate About You. That's fine. But if like, oh, we're reading Lolita and I'm like hooking up with the grow up. You know, like I don't, <laughs> yes. I don't like have that. I don't like that. And so I felt like, you know what? Good for you, Wishbone. You have this Odyssey story and you have this gentrification story. There's no connection. There doesn't need to be. That's high art. Good for you. They did a pretty good job. The Odyssey is long and they really hit on yeah. all the parts that they were going to hit on. There were no monsters, which is like mm. a big part of the book. But but that's okay. I will say this about my experience reading the Odyssey, and then I will stop talking. I read the Odyssey when I was 14 in Mrs. Demers English class at South Point Catholic High School. And for this podcast, I listened to a dramatic reading of it. That was like four hours long. That was really neat. And so it's just as beautiful as I remember. But I'm going to say a few things about it. When I was reading it in high school, there was one moment where my teacher, Mrs. Demers, was explaining this moment in the Odyssey. And she was doing it. She's kind of like a performer teacher. She's just one of those really great professors. And as she was explaining it, I was so zoned into what she was saying. And she then said the word and then a bell rang and then the school bell rang. And we were all kind of like tickled that that happened that way. But I had this moment where I like caught myself and I thought, like, where have I been? Where am I? What do I think? Like, I was so engrossed in her story and I didn't I hadn't had that happen before. Sixteen years later. Don Lee from Temple says, hey, this woman named Carrie Demers email, emailed me asking for you. Do you know her? I said, yes, give her my email. And she emailed me and said, I read your book. And when I got done, I thought to myself, where am I? What have I been doing? What do I think? And it was just this great moment. I was like, wait a second. Aww. You made me feel that way. And it was just really great that the Odyssey came back to me in that way. One more tiny thing about the Odyssey. When I was reading it, when I was in my freshman year, the Odyssey is about a father who gets lost at war and they don't know if he's alive or dead. And his son doesn't know what to, if he should bury his dad in his mind or, or keep looking. There was a student in my class whose father had been lost on a plane as we were reading the Odyssey. And I remember Mrs. Demers had such sensitivity and tenderness towards that. And it was just a strange thing where he sat in the front row, put his head down as we were reading this book. And I don't think his father was ever found. It was just, this is all coming full circle. As we're reading the Odyssey, the story is playing out in our class. And that was something that really has stuck with me to today. So yeah, that is my thoughts on the Odyssey and Wishbone. I actually never read the Odyssey, which I know is kind of shocking. So I, I moved in sixth grade and then again in eighth grade. And I think it was a situation where like, I missed it in both moves. Like, when I moved in sixth grade, they had already had a unit on it at the beginning of sixth grade. And so I missed it. And then when I moved to get in eighth grade, the same thing happened. So I actually never read the Odyssey and I know I need to, um, or maybe I should just watch the wishbone. <laughs> they hit all the, all the highs and lows. It does seem based on what I've read. And I'd be curious about your thoughts on this with respect to the Odyssey and then your thoughts on it, Megan, when you talk about, about the, the episode that you chose, Everything that I've read talks about how these adaptations and these retellings are pretty faithful to the source material, more so even than a lot of retellings that are intended for adults. Um, And something that a lot of critics talked about with Wishbone was that um, the writers of the show didn't dumb the material down for kids. And so, you know, even in the Romeo and Juliet one, which was called, I think, Oh, Rosio. Oh, Rosio. Because there's a dog named Rosie that Wishbone is in love with at the pound, obviously. And the dog is marrying Juliet. (laughs) I had a similar thought to you, Kylie, where I was like, what would it be like to be cast as the Juliet to this Jack Russell Terrier's (laughs) Romeo? And this, you know, this notion of like, they have to get married so they can be together and like the intensity of that emotion. And then the war between the families, like 
these are pretty big concepts for kids to grasp. And so it does seem to me that there were efforts made to stick to that so that kids or adults, if you're like me and you're 32 years old, living in the world, having never read The Odyssey, you could get a good sense of the story just from tuning in to an episode of Wishbone. They're pretty true. I definitely remember, not often, but when someone would make a reference to a book that I hadn't read, maybe like Don Quixote, and I'd be like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And he did this and this, because I knew from watching Wishbone. Cyrano, yes, yes. Cyrano yes. was a yellow lab. <laughs> exactly. How bad do you wish like you were in the writer's room as they're like making these old things come to life? And they're like, maybe there's a dog named Rosie. and he's into- Yeah, I think it's very fun. Can I just yes. say... That episode was huge in my house, Allie, because I had a beagle named Rosie. You did. And we were like, it's her. She was so cute. (laughs) She was so cute. Yeah. You know, Kylie, you were talking about how the kind of contemporary circumstances and the story of the Odyssey didn't quite match up for you. And I would say I had a similar experience with Rosio, oh, Rosio, because the contemporary story in that episode it's a little confusing, but basically like Wishbone is, we, we find Wishbone in the pound because he has been released from his home without his collar and he falls in love with a beagle named Rosie, of course, who is Megan's dog, um, of course. Yes. And then he luckily is rescued by Joe because Joe realizes that he got off the leash and Joe's there on like a class trip and just so happens to see that his dog is there. And then Wishbone has fallen so deeply in love with Rosie that he continues to get himself thrown into the pound by throwing his collar off and then like going to the duck pond. So he, I think he goes in and out of the pound like four times because he just wants to be with Rosie. And then at some point Rosie is gone and Wishbone's there. So like it kind of works a little bit with what happens in the tomb at the end of Romeo and Juliet, but it wasn't a perfect matchup for me. Yeah, they, I was intrigued as to why they matched up these. It kind of maybe it, it kind of seemed like maybe they did them separately mm. a little bit and then matched them up. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you have to think they're shooting the dog. The dog is in and out in three days, and that's a wrap on Wishbone. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like yeah, and I, I I will say just to round it out for my episode, which was a terrified terrier based on the red badge of courage. Same. I I feel like my memory looking back was that the stories mapped, but the stories really don't map. And I think that's just Wishbone being literary. That's just what he does. He takes liberties. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us more about the... the Yeah, I haven't read it either. So I went back. Okay, so let me let me tell you about Wishbone and the Red Badge of Courage. So I watched the episode first. Okay, this is what I'm talking about with production value. They staged like a full-on civil war battle with like 60 extras. And as an adult, looking back, I'm like, I would have settled for like a lot less than this. But they they went all out. And um, I sort of felt, I remembered as I watched it, that, like, this was probably the year for me that we were reading a ton of, like, old war stuff. Like, I feel like seventh grade just came in hot with, like, Red Badge of Courage, Johnny Tremaine. I feel like my teacher was always being like, we will read Johnny Tremaine again if you are not quiet. Like, and I, you know, there was so many things where you were like, okay, it's in a war hospital. But it was sort of hard to, like, wrap your head around just reading these old books at that age. And then I can remember watching this Wishbone episode and being like, oh, wow, oh, people are getting shot. Like, people are going, oh, and falling on the ground. And it was, like, very real. Um, And I actually watched it with my kids last night. And I'm, like, hyper crazy about them seeing anything violent. So I feel like they had the same reaction. But it definitely, I I think that, like, this is why a show like this made such an impact. Because, like, it had, it left such a bigger impression on me than reading The Red Badge of Courage. Like, I'm sorry, Stephen Crane, that's so bad to say. (laughs) Side note, too, Red Badge of Courage is one of those books where, like, he wrote in, like, a crazy vernacular. Like, even the, every time he says the, it has an abbreviation to T-H apostrophe. And, like, I got I really that's necessary. Up. That's not necessary. Oh, I don't love that. I, I spent so much time being, like, 
trying to picture what that was supposed to sound like. Like nobody was like, go to this well. Like no one talks like that. <laughs> so, you know, things like that, I think it's hard for kids to latch onto. And so, yeah, it really brought it to life for me. I also was, you know, when you just wish something would happen, they were talking about how, I don't know if anyone remembers this. I didn't remember it. But at the end of the episode, sometimes they'd be like, here's how we made this episode. So they went through like how they staged the battle and they were like, these are actually real civil war reenactors. Look at all these guys. They really do this. And I was like, I'm going to find Doug Mastriano. He's in here. I was like <laughs> pausing it and hoping so much I would find Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano. I didn't. But yeah, the scale, the scale was memorable. Yeah, my episode also had like a breaking of the fourth wall at the end. And I was like, is this where I started to love reality TV? Like, is this where it began? Because they interviewed the actress who played Juliet. And it was so funny because she was like, I'm so nervous at the audition. Because, and she explains what an audition is, which I guess is helpful because if you're a kid and, and you don't really know what it takes to become an actor. But then, of course, I, as a 32-year-old, I'm reminded of the fact that she knows going into this audition that she's playing opposite a dog, as we've now established. And so she's like, I'm so nervous about the audition. And then they um, they introduce you to the casting director, which I thought was kind of cool, too. Like, I love that as a kid, I was exposed to the arts in this way. It's it's pretty cool to think about because I didn't remember that part. Like, I I mostly just remembered the dog. And if I'm being honest, I feel like there were certain episodes where I didn't love the historical elements like I preferred when we were in the world of Joe and Wishbone and I would kind of wish the other moments away. And now I, I'm like, oh, do I want to watch more Wishbone and kind of see what I may have missed? Because it's it's amazing that they were able to cover so many stories. There were, I think, a total of 50 episodes made. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah, I would have been very, very into that. Like watching someone talk about their audition process. I would have been like, what? Someone might choose you if you do... Where are these auditions? <laughs> how do I how do I get one of those? Mine was a little bit strange, and it had the mother of Joe talking about like, oh, we covered the Odyssey today, but she's on an elliptical as she's saying this. <laughs> and you were on an elliptical, so you it was a little meta then. It was very meta. It was, and then Wishbone makes a dog joke, and that's kind of it. It's kind of like uh, like Drag Race in that way, like the dog jokes keep coming it's kind of impressive so i did learn a couple of fun facts about the process of casting wishbone if that would be of interest to anyone i'm ready absolutely i like i was just thinking too that i wish when you mentioned the actress being nervous it just made me wish so much that there was like a worse dog in the room for like the chemistry reads like wishbone doesn't do chemistry reads he's in his trailer but please tell us tell us about the casting. Okay, so there were 100 to 150 dogs that tried out to be Wishbone over what? a three day yes over a three day period, and the wow. guy who ultimately got the job his name is Soccer, and Soccer got the job because he could do a backflip, and he also was the backflip is ex- cool. Yeah, the backflip is pretty cool, and he was also the most expressive of all of the other dogs that auditioned, but. Soccer was not that nice of a guy. So there were other dogs that they kind of brought in to do different tasks. So Soccer could do a lot of his own stunts, but there were three other stunt dogs. There was one named Slugger, one named Shiner, and one named Phoebe. Kylie, this is what I do now that I'm not in grad school anymore. I keep track of this kind of information. This and is then research. there was You're doing yeah, research. Good. And then another dog named Bear, who just did publicity stills. Like, Bear was there just to take photos. So I would assume that this dog on the cover of Romeo and Juliet is not soccer, but is Bear. And so, yeah, they would bring in these other dogs to do different tasks if soccer, like, wasn't feeling it. But soccer has his own Wikipedia page. He has his own IMDb page. He has a wiki that talks about his favorite foods. I think his favorite foods were kibble and grilled chicken, which, like, doesn't seem that unusual to me keto yeah he's keto (laughs) also dog like I too have a dog and he loves kibble and grilled chicken so yeah soccer really went through the ringer to get this job and uh, it was all because he was expressive and he could do a backflip that's very funny to me because I was shocked at how unexpressive wishbone was and I was watching it again especially compared to the voice of the wishbone narrator who is like 
hyped up, like just ready to rock and roll, but wish one space is like deadpan. But I actually kind of like that better than when you used to see animated things where they make the dog's mouth move. I don't like that. So I prefer wish one space neutral. I agree. Yeah. I like that. They made that choice. And now that you mention it, his voice does not really match who he is on screen. I agree. He's kind of a serious dog to me. And the voice is, I don't know, the voice I kept feeling like I was like, Oh, this is why fifth grade boys were like the way that they were at that Mm. time. I think in my episode, he said, all right, have a nice trip. See you next fall. I was like, like, okay, (laughs) that's fine. There. Yeah. He definitely, he was on a level of like, so in my episode, the, the modern day story was about how, like, I feel like you guys will remember this. The ninth graders like saw Joe make a basket and they were like, Hey, come hang out with us. So he like ditches, um, like Sam and David and Robin and he goes with the ninth graders and there's like a scene where he, he has his hat on and he looks in the mirror and very slowly he turns it backwards and then there's like a guitar look and he's like, yeah. So, oh no. <laughs> but then like the tension of the storyline came from the fact, not so much that he had ditched his friends, but like that he had ditched his dog, which film was like Saturday's our day to hang out. And I, and like the mom was like, don't you want to bring wishbone with you? And I was like, I feel like this is teaching kids to hang out with their dog too much. Like it was very, everyone was like, Wish, wishbone, where's Joe? He ditched you on a Saturday. And I was like, no, 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 let's, I feel like it's good that Joe's with people. So there was sort of like, I feel like wishbone <laughs> was just on a, like a little too human of a level. I don't know. He's a, he's an interesting, he's an interesting guy. But also Stalker is a bad dog name. And I would be a mean dog too if someone named me Stalker. I kind of like it. I also love this because I, I kind of like I, it. I, do but I, like I also have a dog named Irving. So, like, I don't know. I mean, I might not be a good judge. <laughs> I like I know Irving. for a fact that Megan's children, two of them, are obsessed with freshmen. So I love that it was ninth graders. <laughs> Okay, so my boys are eight and six, and I don't know who taught them about freshmen or teenagers, or I don't know where something got lost, but, like, they love teen boys. They're obsessed with teen boys, and when we, like, we, like, hosted by a bus stop the other day, and the one goes to the other, yo, 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 look, fresh men. (laughs) It's just freshmen, guys. (laughs) Yeah, they love freshmen. <laughs> and Joe was a freshman. Yeah, friend. Joe, Joe, yep, he was a friend of, and then, of course, you know, it's the storyline where, like, they kind of use him and make him, like, fill up their water bottles, and then in the penultimate scene, he, like, goes to a pizza parlor with them mm-hmm. that says, like, pizza parlor in the window, and his other friends are there, and they, like, make fun of them because they're listening to bird calls. So I guess I mean I would too probably. I, yeah, they bring they bring like a cassette, and the guy says, "What's that sound?" Oh, I know, it's a geek mating call. And this was something again. I didn't have cable that my brothers and I proceeded to quote for the next twenty eight years. So I guess it maps in that like you know red badge of courage like glory like you go you're going to go join up with the guys and get glory. There was like some, there was a connection there somewhat. I think it's, they it tried to see like a, a connection about storytelling. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I mm-hmm. did read this one. Um, I read a blog post and I'll link it in the show notes listeners, but it was written by this woman who was reflecting on like why Wishbone has lived rent free in her head for so many years and why she thinks about it all the time. She kept coming back to that question that comes at the end of the intro, which is like, what's the story, Wishbone? And like how that's really like an important question to ask people and to ask of communities and to just like ask in any situation in our time. And um, she talks about just kind of like the broader the broader lessons about the importance of storytelling that she learned from watching and consuming Wishbone and how like stories can have new life in different times and places. And so I guess if we want to like look a little bit deeper at Wishbone and think about as readers, as writers, how this little dog may have impacted our understanding of story, like we could go there. 
Well, okay. I'm I'm processing this. So what for you, Allie, do you feel yeah. like So I think for me, if there's like a storytelling lesson that I learned from Wishbone, it's that things that seemed really old and maybe boring and weird to me as a kid still had some kind of a relevance to people that looked like me and were more relatable to me. So when like when Joe and Sam are at the pound and Sam wants to adopt Rosie because Rosie's an adorable beagle and somehow that connects to Romeo and Juliet, even though I'm not quite sure as an adult that I know how it connects to Romeo and Juliet, I'm like, oh, okay. So I understand that I'm supposed to see connections. And I think maybe that started to spark an interest in different kinds of stories. And I'm, I've never been somebody who enjoys the classics. Like I know people who love reading the classics over and over again, and I'm still not that person. But I, I think I would agree with that blogger um, in her assessment of the role that retellings like this can play, especially for younger kids. Like when I was six years old watching Wishbone, I'm not, I'm not going to go read Cyrano or like Romeo and Juliet, but thanks Wishbone for letting me know that these stories can be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I didn't really think about it, so you just brought it up, but I will say I probably wasn't consuming like a ton of stuff that flashed between anything at that point. And now for some reason, I literally can't get through a manuscript that I'm writing without like flashing. So there was definitely like, I laughed when you were like, sometimes I didn't want to listen to like the literary stuff. I just wanted to get back to the kids. Well, yeah, because it was a two season, will they or won't they with a love triangle. And like, I wanted to know, like, who is Sam going to pick, you know? So I feel like just even that structural thing as a writer, that was probably my first time encountering it. Like you guys, when we read stuff, stuff that we would like get out of the library in the nineties, I don't feel like there wasn't even too much narrator switching in middle grade kind of stuff, let alone time period back and forth, right? I'm trying to think. I come upon it occasionally for the podcast, and every time I do, I'm like, oh, this is where it started for me because my favorite thing in fiction, and Kylie definitely knows this from working with me, is changing narrators and sometimes changing too many narrators. And so whenever I find a book that I read when I was a kid and it's told from several perspectives, I'm like, oh, this is this must have been where it started because I'm drawn to that as a reader, as an adult, and also as a writer. But it is very rare, especially you know with books that were written in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that we might have been reading in the 90s. But it, occasionally it does happen. Flashbacks, I feel like less so. So this structure was probably new. Okay, I'm going to be the Debbie Downer of the group, but I'm going to end on a high note because I actually really do like Wishbone. One thing that I kept thinking about with the episode was something that I think about a lot in terms of art and showing a party or showing a love scene is that we are often borrowing from stereotypes that don't even really have a foundation. Like in my episode, uh, Telemachus, his house is filled with all these people and they're partying and wasting all of uh, Odysseus like beer and wine and things and they're doing the version of drinking like when I was a child I thought drinking was like being loud and like punching someone in the face and like spilling stuff <laughs> like, I thought it was like a gossip girl you know and so it's like I can see the kind of way Ali could I can see like oh that's how I thought of drinking but yeah. it's like the guy in Nashville or whatever just like smashing stuff all the time and now as an adult the writer in me is way more interested in the 26-year-old woman who can't stop drinking, but she goes to work every day and maintains her job and does this thing under the radar and is really calm and a good listener, but still has a huge problem. So it's kind of like this place where you see these these types come alive and how you shape your worldview, but that's all art pretty much. At the same time, I think what we can learn from Wishbone is just tell the exciting parts. <laughs> There's so many books where I'm like, if you just told these parts, that would have been really, really great. And that's yeah. what Wishbone does. He picks out the good parts, and you're like, okay, I got it. And I think that's great. He yeah, cut yeah. 625 pages from the Odyssey. He was like, these um 625? I don't think we need them, though. We need yeah. them. I don't think we need them. Yeah, it's, and it's funny because then in, like, the books, like, they put all the stuff back in Romeo and Juliet, but you only get, like, a couple of scenes from the original Romeo and Juliet and Rosio. Rosio. So they, he, he's like, yeah, we don't really need to know all the fighting. We don't need, I was like, for a second, I was like, oh my gosh, is, are they going to have the dog 
murder somebody like his wishbone sword going to be responsible for somebody's death and it's like we don't see that on screen which they're I not was, brave enough i wasn't well, sure i don't think he can carry a, he can't hold a sword <laughs> wait but i will say as we all know one of the divine pleasures of watching wishbone was when they would like do a stunt where like the paw would just like come yes in. and in the in the red bound courage He's working that musket. He's shooting that gun, which was a little disturbing to witness. <laughs> so maybe they were like, we can't also stab. We need like another 18 episodes in between. But the, you know what, Kylie, it's funny because it's funny you brought up like stereotypes and like 90s kind of because I didn't watch your episode. But when you mentioned that there was a gentrifying storyline, I was like, okay, it's going to be like steel. Or, like, a beach. Like, I feel like in the 90s, gentrifying stuff was never, like, hey, there's there's a housing short, There's an affordable housing shortage, and people are getting pushed out of places they live. It was always, like, there's a beach here with seals, and he wants to build a mall. And, like, that yes. was the complete, yes. you know what I mean? These yes. sort of, like, tropes. Yeah. And he's bad. Why is he bad? Because he has a cell phone and a suit and a tie. And we are good. Why are we good? Because my mom's wacky friend Wanda got signatures and we have shirts with trees on them. And because we love nature, it's like, it's so cut yeah. and dry. And then mine, mm-hmm. what's the little girl's name? Sam. 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 Yes. So Sam does a speech in a courthouse to save this park. And it's maybe, I don't know, 80 words long and everyone applauds her. <laughs> And stands up, and she has the most quintessential '90s American girl hair I have ever seen. She's very cute. Yeah. Well, I feel like all in all, this has been a good experience for us. Like, do we feel like Wishbone holds up? Sure, I would let my kids watch Wishbone for sure. I think it's great. I mean, they were like, I like when Wishbone comes in and goes like, "This is what an epithet is," and "This is what a great chorus is." Super cute. I like hearing the writers be like, "Should we? how, How do we do?" The crossbow. Does he is he shooting it? Is the paw like make yeah. it work? I thought it was very cute and I kinda see why I liked it when I was a little kid. I agree. I would I would let the kids watch it. The kids wanted to watch a second one last night. I think there's always like with any other pop culture from that era, there's always gonna be things where you pause it and be like, um but I do I think what you hit upon, Allie, just that like a lot of these stories were getting to you before before you ever had to read them, I think could be so helpful because like there's so many kids who maybe feel the way about reading that like I always thought about math, which was that like from the second I opened the book, I was like crying. I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. So if a kid could open the red badge of courage and see like the abbreviated in a way that just breaks their brain, but they like know the general arc from Wishbone, I feel like the dog has done his work. Yes, it it was noble work. And I also think that maybe there's an argument to be made for, like, maybe kids who don't have access to, like, the same educational resources, like, from a young age, like, getting exposure to these stories or, like, to information about what these storytelling methods are. Like, just understanding those things early could be really interesting. Well, the good news is there's uh, an updated wishbone in the works. Happy to share that news with you. I was holding on to that the whole time. In 2020, they announced that they are making a wishbone movie um, what? i know i know wow. so i guess we will just have to stay tuned for more updates we all know these i really hope story. it's soccer i hope soccer, <laughs> <laughs> soccer very they apparently tried to bring soccer's trainer back and the trainer was like i can't do it without soccer like i can't do it with another dog i oh love God. that this trainer's like i've thought about wishbone in years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I found a whole oral history of Wishbone, and the trainer was talking about, like, I think the quote was something like, maybe some other trainer could do it without soccer, but not me. Oh, my God. It was intense. an entire, like, behind-the-scenes Netflix. Yeah. Well, you have to come back. That trainer probably is stacked, though. I mean, having Wishbone on your resume of, like, Wishbone, yeah, I trained him. So do you want me? Yes or no? That's amazing. I hope they do it well. Me too. Well, thank you for revisiting. Did he yes, of course. I wanted to know if the trainer did the backflip. Like, was he I responsible so. for the backflip? I There's think so. There. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe they can convince him to come back, but it seems unlikely. But I'm grateful that we went back to talk about Wishbone. I could talk about Wishbone forever, but I guess we have to move on. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what else you've been reading and loving lately. We are heading into the final stretch of the year. It's holiday season. What do you think people should be cozying up with right about now? Okay, I'll go first. I am reading End of the World House by Adrian Selt. Hopefully it's not Chelt. Anyway, I love it. It's really good. It's about like two friends in Paris, but the day keeps repeating and you don't know what's going on. A lot of great like time and space stuff. I also highly recommend Marrying the Ketchup by my friend Jennifer Close. And I love the new like Ma collection. Bliss Montage. Bliss Montage. So good. Loving every story. She's so funny. That's me. I love that cover a lot. Mm, such a great cover. Um, another great cover is called Homebound by Vanessa A.B. It's a memoir, and I'm interviewing Vanessa tonight. It's very good. She's lived many different lives in a very young, young span of time. So I'm excited to chat with her tonight. Right now, I'm listening to a lot of books, and I'm listening to Less, which I feel like everyone has read. Who wrote that? Andrew? Sean Andrew or Andrew Sean Greer? Yes, I believe yeah. that's it. So I'm listening to that right now. One thing I've started doing more now is reading plays. And one of my favorites is Annie Baker's play, John. It's so, so good. Oh, Hiroko Oyamata, one of my favorite authors, is coming out with a new book soon. So I'm excited for that one. Great. Well, I'll include links to those recommendations in the show notes. And I don't know how much either of you, both of you, can talk about what you're working on now for the future. But I'd love to hear any updates, what we can expect, what's going on in your worlds. I just finished my manuscript, which is very exciting. Of course, we have lots of edits to go through, but I feel like maybe I said this to Megan on the phone. I feel like your manuscript goes through like a lot of surgery and triage in the beginning, but now I'm at that phase that you always see where they like put a balloon under the skin to like make more skin. <laughs> and I've just gotten done with that one. So now we get to do cosmetic, more fun things, which is exciting. We keep going back and forth on a title, which is so so hard. Titles are so difficult. So every day I wake up with a new thought thinking that's the best thought. And by the end of the day, I'm like, that's crazy. You can't do that. So hopefully we'll find a title soon. Other than that, I am a assistant professor at the University of Michigan at the Helen Zell Writers Program, which is super exciting and just working on enjoying Ann Arbor, which is pretty easy to do so far. Yeah. How about you, Megan? I'm working on the TV adaptation of Followers, which I'm going for a record for longest development process and I am working on a manuscript that is about it's interlocking narratives but it kind of all centers around uh, a girl who's a biohacker and who has invented a genetic edit that can make anyone 10% more empathetic and how it changes the world so we'll see Cool. Well, I am a huge fan of both of your work and I cannot wait to read and watch and just engage with whatever is coming from both of you in the future. So thank you so much for putting out all of the wonderful work that you do and for taking the time to chat with me today. Again, two plus years in the making, and I think it was worth the wait. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you, Allie. Thanks, Allie. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.